Hey, beautiful people. Welcome to the BU Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Von Bretter. My mission is to empower people to become the best versions of themselves so that they can live their best lives. I'm redefining success so people stop living the lives they think they should live and start living the lives they love. Join me weekly as I share my own insights and speak with guests that have embraced their unique gifts into living life on their terms. I hope these conversations inspire you to make the most out of your life by being your best self. Remember, be you, be beautiful. Hey, you guys, thanks for joining me for another episode of the BU podcast. So unless you're like a unicorn or something, I bet you have had some negative thoughts about your body, your weight and how you look. And it's so tough out there with this diet culture we're in and now all this body positive talk and everyone's opinions. It's just kind of hard to know how to feel. And for me, I never wanted to be the person that lived a life on and off diets. Like I like bread and sugar way too much to be like, that's off limits. And just that's a whole thing. But anyway, as I'm in my early 30s now, my body just isn't what it used to be. And I'm striving to make healthier choices. And so I was excited when I heard of a book called Ditch the Diet, Seven Essential Habits You Need to Get Lean, Stay Healthy, and Generally Kick Ass at Life. And this book sounded exactly like what I needed, and it was. I loved it. So for today's episode, I got to speak with the author, Una Duncan, and she is just super funny. She's real. She's a kick-ass person, and we talk about her journey in the health and fitness industry, her book, uh, Habit Loops, and just feeling good about life. And this episode is just so much more than diet talk. I just hope you guys enjoy. Before we get into the show, I wanted to take a moment to share how I host my podcast using Anchor. It's free and easy to use. You can record and edit using your phone or computer, and then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. It's super easy to use, and they do the work for you. I highly recommend using Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on to the show. Well, Una, thank you so much for joining me today for the BU podcast. Um, Will you just get started by telling us a little bit about yourself and who you are? Sure. Uh, My name is Una. I am a fitness professional. I've been in the fitness industry for about 20 years, and um, I am the author of a book called Healthy As... Oh, is this a swearing podcast? (laughs) You can swear, yeah. (laughs) I think I know you've got a potty mouth, and I love it. Yeah, yeah, because my book is called Healthy As Fuck, um, or we just re-released in the U.S. for paperback. We called it Ditch the Diet, and I can talk more later about the title change if you like. Um, So this is a number one best-selling book, and it's based on my experiences of helping thousands of people all over the world transform their bodies when they kind of felt like nothing was working. And so Mm -hmm. I really help people kind of get over those blocks. And to be honest, a lot of people think the blocks are physical, but they're almost always mental and get over those blocks and really not only change their bodies, but change their perception of themselves. Because Mm -hmm. really at the end of the day, it's about an identity shift. You know, a lot of people right now are going around saying, oh, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. But let me tell you something, if that lifestyle falls off the rails on the weekends or (laughs) when you're on vacation, then, you know, without an ounce of judgment, I'm just going to tell you that's a diet. Yeah. But if it is part of who you are, if it's part of your identity, then that 
is the same on the weekends. It's the same on vacations. Mm -hmm. You know, when you think about someone who has a strong identity, like for example, a vegan, vegans are usually really rooted in that identity. And you've never heard a vegan say, oh, well, you know what? Things are just crazy right now. So I'm just going to eat meat for a little while and then I'll deal with it later. Like that never happens because vegans don't even like see meat. It's not an option for them. A non-smoker would never say, well, I'm just going to smoke to get through this rough time. That doesn't happen, right? It's not part of their identity. They just won't do it. Um, And, you know, on another example, if someone's a runner versus someone who is running right now, if you're a runner, you're going to go and you're going to find a way to run when you're on vacation, when it's your birthday, when it's raining. But if you're running right now, you're going to be like, oh, you know, I'll run if it's easy and maybe not, you know. So this is what I want to shift people from, from this, like, I'm going to discipline myself into not eating sugar or whatever Mm -hmm. to I am a healthy person, period. I'm not trying to be healthy. It's just who I am. Yeah, uh, I love it. And I'm I'm really excited to talk to you today about your book. Um, I read it. And for me, like I've never really been one to be on diets or anything, but I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm like, I know I need to be healthier, but I don't want to be the person that's like, Oh, I'm giving up sugar for like a few weeks. Cause like, I know that's not gonna do anything long-term like, yeah, I might lose weight like real quickly, but it's not going to sustain itself. So I'm like, yes, I want like something that's gonna be like, here's just how to have a healthy life and feel good about it. And I really feel like you're book does that. So, um, before we get into that, yeah, Mm -hmm. before we really get into your book, I kind of want to know about, um, more about your history with fitness and what that looked like, because, you know, from reading the book, I know that you did not grow up being a super healthy fitness person. So tell us about, Oh my gosh. No, I mean, I am not one of these fitness professionals that just came out of the womb doing cartwheels and like (laughs) swinging a shiny ponytail around. Like that was not my jam. Um, I, (laughs) my tendency was more towards being sedentary and reading. And, you know, I really, really honestly felt like, um, gym class was probably the most embarrassing thing for me growing up, even yeah. in recess. Like I was, I was not even given to playing tag. I would really rather sit and read than do any of those kind of things or, you know, yeah. sit around and talk to my friends, but I didn't want to be physically active. There was no fun in that for me. And, yeah. um, so now when my friends, and you know, I was a passionate smoker from the age of like 16 to almost 30 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I, I really also kind of associated um, fitness and movement with, you know, being really sexist and really self-hating and really Mm -hmm. shallow and really cheesy. Like I pictured, you know, um, my perception of cheerleaders and, you know, and now, you know, what's the funny thing. So then when I actually started, you know, I can talk about how I kind of shifted into fitness, but um, later on in my fitness career, I ended up teaching the course that certifies new personal trainers. Mm -hmm. And in that course, I used to have a ton of people who were competing in bodybuilding competitions, which would have been like the height of my eye roll back in my (laughs) teens. You know, I was like, bodybuilding, like, seriously, you paint yourself orange and you stand on stage in a sparkly bikini and like twist to the side and pump (laughs) your muscles. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the worst. Yeah. And then I met these people because they were my students. Right. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of forced to like them a little bit because they're my students. But then when I, so then when that bar was taken down, I realized like, oh, they're actually so sweet mm-hmm. and so freaking knowledgeable and oh, yeah. so worthy of respect. Like I had been going around thinking, you know, it's, it's, it's respectable and honorable to do something like, you know, train for a marathon, 
but mm-hmm. to train for a bodybuilding competition, please, that's just shallow and dorky. But, yeah. you know, then I met them and I was like, actually, both of those activities are really just about yourself. Like, let's face it, maybe you're collecting a couple of bucks for charity for the marathon, but really it's just about you thinking, figuring out what you can do. Right. And it's the same thing with the body competition. And I really, um, when I dropped all that judgment around it, you know, I realized that it's really just in both cases, these are athletes who try really hard at accomplishing a really freaking hard goal that yes, is totally self-involved and why not? You know, right. we are always like, I hate that we have to shroud our, our ambitions in this kind of altruistic um, filter. Why mm-hmm. can't we just be like, no, man, I want to do this just for me, just right. because I think I'll look hot. Yeah. <laughs> <And> I don't <laughs> care if you don't like it, because I think that it's funny. There's been this big shift from, you know, um, telling women that they have to learn, look a certain way. And that's the uh, nature of oppression. And certainly that is still there a thousand percent. But now I think that there's this new layer that is perpetuated uh, by women for women of, no, you have to love yourself the way you are. Right. You, you know what I mean? And then, so there's this like layers and layers of like, don't do that. Don't do that. But whatever you do, don't do that. And are you woke at like, blah, 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 blah. so there's just like more oppression than ever. And I think that the best thing we can do is absolutely love ourselves exactly as we are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And our only job as women is to support other women in whatever the hell they want to do with their bodies. Right. Whether that is getting ripped and getting your six pack and standing on the stage in a sparkly bikini. Great. Whether it's a marathon or whether it's like, you know what, I'm not going to do any of that. And mm-hmm. I'm going to sit and read my book. Yeah. <laughs> and that is me living my best life. Any of that I think is cool. And we support whatever they're doing, whatever yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, there's like so much to that. And I love it. And I mean, you're totally right. It's like, first it's like, oh, we need to be like skinny and skinny is healthy and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, no, like love yourself at any uh, size. And then like, I think that there's kind of like this fine line. And I kind of thought this way when I was like reading, because you do talk about like, it's really important to be like happy with yourself now, mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. still have that kind of goal of like, what is like your like kind of dream body and like being okay with wanting that no matter like what anyone else thinks, but it's still kind of like, I mean, I'm happy with myself, but like, I do want to be healthier. (laughs) Right. Well, here's the thing. And this is, this is such a hard thing for people to understand because they feel like, well, if I love myself the way I am, then I'm letting myself off the hook. Then I won't be motivated to improve myself. And Mm -hmm. I actually don't think that's true at all. In fact, I know that's not true. That the best part of love, like you absolutely should love yourself exactly, like look down at yourself, love yourself exactly as you are. And know that one of the most self-loving things you can do is to recognize that you also have unmet potential. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take away from loving who you are today. It yeah. actually, it's even more loving to be like, I love myself so much and I'm going to go ahead and kick ass in all these ways. And yeah. the, the way that I feel um, helps people understand this the most is to look at little kids because mm-hmm. we love little kids exactly as they are. We love that they mispronounce words and they're so cute. And they like, you know, like they do all these things. It's amazing. We don't want them to be any different. We love them. Mm-hmm. and we are also very excited for them to grow and evolve. Yeah. One does not take away from the other. 
Yeah. So I think that if we had that same loving perspective on ourselves, we love ourselves as we are, we're amazing. And we are so excited for ourselves to grow and evolve with that exact yeah. same amount of self-love and excitement for their potential. And I think that we can, that is the, the perspective we need to bring to ourselves rather than I'm acceptable or I'm not. Mm, and I, yeah. if I accept myself now, then I will not drive towards when I will be acceptable. Because here's the deal. If you keep practicing thoughts of self-hatred, um, of beating yourself up, if every time you look in the mirror, you have trained yourself to see faults and you're, mm. you've done this because you've got high standards for yourself and you think I'm going to fix this, you yeah. know, but if you keep doing that, you were only ever going to train those neural pathways in your mind. So right. even if you get the flat abs and run the marathon and make a hundred thousand a year or whatever, it's like the things that you're striving, striving, striving for, it's still not going to feel like enough. Right. It's because you're practice. All you've ever practiced is neural pathways of discontent. And the thing is that that is the muscle you need to train is mm-hmm. the muscle of being super happy with where you are and excited for where you're going. That's the muscle. That's yeah. the vibe. And it's, I love it's a that tough vibe. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that the example of kids, I think is so great. Cause yeah, we like, you know, want them to learn and grow and it's exciting, but we're, you know, not mad at them for no, not being, like, not them. knowing everything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then like with ourselves, it's almost like, um, yeah, you can like love yourself and be content with where you are, but knowing that there is more for you. And if yeah. you kind of like step into that, you're like doing yourself a disservice almost by thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm just fine how I am. Like, I'm just going to stay yeah. here. Like, yeah, we're meant to grow and evolve. And oh, exactly. That. No, you're like this awesome kid and you've yeah. got so much to grow into no matter what freaking age you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the vibe I like to take for that. I love it. And then, so we kind of got off track. Like, how did you get into fitness? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know what? I was, um, I was an actor mm-hmm. and a playwright. Um, specifically I focused on documentary plays, the subgenre of documentary playwriting. And I wanted my playwriting to be like gritty and political and change the world and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so then what I started to do was, you know, of course that I'm doing the audition circuit and I'm, sitting in rooms with 14 other redheads who look exactly like me for a Tim Hortons commercial and like, I hope I make it and all that stuff. And it just like that grinds down at you. So I started teaching fitness classes totally as a piss take, totally as a piss take, because meanwhile, I'm like smoking on my way home and being like, yeah, but the, uh, the reason I started doing it is because it was close enough to musical theater that it yeah. kind of scratched, like it was all about me standing at the front of the <laughs> classroom in my like sparkly spandex and whatever, yeah, like, like performance, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was performing and dancing to funny music and yelling at people. Anyway, it was just, it was completely nothing I took seriously. And then I got hired by um, a boot camp class company. So that automatically filled my schedule with classes at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. And it paid well enough that I could sort of spend my days doing my playwriting and all that sort of stuff yeah. and auditioning. And that worked for a while. And then I remember I just had this big epiphany, probably sitting in one of those audition rooms for Tim Horton's commercial. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know what? I am actually having way more fun in my dorky fitness things than I am sitting here trying to like write grant proposals for my plays and sitting in audition rooms. 
And I actually feel like I'm using my talents more yelling at people to run up hills and like (laughs) dancing around in fun music. And I just, and it's so funny because as soon as I made that decision, it was just like, like my, it was, it was the difference between trying to swim upstream to swimming with the current. And it was amazing how quickly my, you know, my, I started my own bootcamp company. It expanded to several locations. I started teaching trainers. I, you know, like, and then I started blogging and going online. And so now I, my primary business is, it's all online. It's called fitfeelsgood.com. Of course, yeah. everyone should go. Yeah. And, um, there's a 28 day transformation program. It's a habits-based approach to complete body transformation in 28 days. And then at the end of that, I have a master's of fitness awesomeness program where we focus on a keystone habit every month and it's an amazing community. And so now, and you know, I've got um, people all over the world and it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. I've got, um, you know, an incredible amount of members and, and then I wrote my book and stuff like that. So that's, yeah how it's evolved from there. And it was um, interesting because, you know, at the time, I don't know if you've ever had this crossroads aerial, but I was like, there is no way I can make a career out of fitness. Like that's not a career that doesn't even exist. Right. And yeah. And so if I had been thinking practically, which obviously I didn't because I was already a playwright. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but if I had been thinking practically, I never would have made the leap to try and do a full-time fitness career because it just didn't even exist really. Right. And I, I really love that, you know, you were doing, um, you know, the acting and being a playwright, but you, you kind of noticed like that it wasn't really suiting you anymore and that you felt like more in your like natural element doing fitness and stuff. And I was kind of curious if like, did you ever like, because you didn't have like this huge background in fitness, like, did you ever like deal with imposter syndrome or anything like that? Oh, good one. You know what? Um, you know, I probably did, but here's how I've always reframed that for myself. Um, is that, and it's, and I, I actually, I dealt with this a lot when I was teaching new trainers because one Mm -hmm. of my most top questions for potential, um, trainers was, in order to be a trainer, do I have to be in perfect shape? Can Mm, I take this course if I'm not completely, I'm not ready yet? You know, how many people live their whole lives thinking they're not ready yet to go for their dream, right? And so what I would tell them is that um, there are millions of people out there in the world who need a trainer. And some of them are going to be extremely intimidated by the standard hard body, look at me, I'm so fit trainer. Yeah. Some of them will want to be trained by someone who's just like a year ahead of them. Yeah. Or, you know what I mean? Like just a little bit ahead of them. And in fact, um, going back to the kids thing. So I'm a mom. I kind of think of parenting as a good analogy for a lot of things that I do. Yeah. So there's a, um, one of the most popular education models right now is having multi-age class classrooms. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you'll have like the kindergartners with the fourth graders kind of thing. And what they have found is that kids tend to learn most, not from adults, but yeah. from other kids who are just a little bit older than them. Right. Because you can understand where they're coming from. And so in all of my fitness stuff, yes. And it's so funny because now I'm in the position where I hire people who are like way better athletes than me, way better like nutrition heads than me. But I feel like my superpower is actually that I can look at my clients and be like, hey, I know 
that you want to have a pizza and a smoke right now. Like I totally get it. I totally get it. And yeah. I really do. Cause I can go back to that mindset really quickly because I know it so well. I know that you don't want to do burpees. I know that sounds like hell. I know it's embarrassing. I know that your belly gets in the way when you do downward dog and that you're, you live in fear of your shirt falling forward in downward dog. Mm-hmm. I know that like all these things. And because like that experience is so close to me, I feel like I'm actually in a better position to move people forward because I'm a bit of a fitness imposter. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's such a good point of like people, I mean, they can look at you and be like, all right, if she can do it, then I can do it. Or like anyone who's like a little bit better, they're just like, all right, well, I'll just kind of like follow behind them. And like, eventually I'll get there like them. And yeah, it's like you're building trust with them too, being like, yeah, I know it feels like shitty to do this. Yeah, yeah, totally. It'll be fine. Yes. Totally. Totally. And let's talk about your book. Um, And I am curious about like, kind of like the name change for like the Mm. US. (laughs) Mm. So yeah, I I got it as ditch the diet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Tell me about how the book came about and everything. Yeah. Well, oh gosh, you know how it came about? Um, So this is kind of embarrassing. This, there's a chapter in my book called break up with your bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and by bullshit, I mean our belief systems or the recurring stories that we tend to tell ourselves that make it okay to stay in our comfort zone. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. stuff like the diet starts tomorrow or like, I don't have the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. So here I wrote this book because my bullshit, I got called on it so hard. <laughs> so I was out for um, dinner with a bunch of my clients. Mm-hmm. And one of my clients mentioned um, that she was writing a book. And you know, when someone says they're doing something you've always wanted to do, you're like, and I had that instinct of like my gut. I was so like, what? And immediately, this is what barfed out of my mouth. I said, oh, I want to write a book too, but I just don't have the time. And as (laughs) soon as it puked out, I looked at who I said that to. And this woman is um, the mother of two toddlers, a rabbi, a doula, and a university professor. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I said, I don't have the time to her face. Not only that, but I also said it in front of a whole table full of my clients who are always trying to tell me they don't have the time to which I always respond. Well, if it's important, you'll make the time. Yeah. (laughs) So I soon, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just, and I thought, and she was really gracious. She just shrugged and said, oh, I don't have the time either. Yeah. And as soon as that moment happened, I was like, I am so full of shit. Yeah. I was like, that's even more calling you out on your bullshit. She's like, I don't have time, but I'm doing it. Totally. Yeah. And I was like, I'm full of shit. I'm writing my book. So as soon as that happened, um, I was like, that's it. I'm doing it. I'm going to write my book. And it was again, sort of the same thing of like clicking into a different gear, just like clicking out of acting and into fitness. As soon as I decided that's it and started putting out feelers like, hey, does anybody know anybody who's written a book or anybody know anybody in publishing? Like opportunity after meeting, after like things started happening. I had an editor contact me out of the blue. Hey, I've been on your email list for a long time. If you ever wanted to write a book, I'd love to hear a proposal. And, you know, things just started rolling. And that's how the book came to be. And it really was just the moment I decided to break up with my own bullshit. Yeah. Then it started to happen, but we are so comfortable in our bullshit. Our bullshit is like a cozy little blanket that we want to not write our books about. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I love that. Like, first of all, like you, yeah, we're called out on your own bullshit. And I mean, one of the things I kind of thought throughout reading the book was just kind of like, these are things that can be applied to like, not just how we go about like with, um, a healthy lifestyle, but like just building habits in other areas of our lives. So yeah. 
for you to kind of like think that way, but then like realize like, no, I can do it. Just like I tell my clients, like they yeah. have time, like if you want yeah. it done, but oh, then I gosh. love when things just like align, like it, it's supposed to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was amazing. It was really amazing how, you know, all the momentum that led to the book being written and, you know, all the support that I had for that. Mm-hmm. And then it came out and it was a number one best-selling nonfiction book in Canada. I was just like tears. I found out the in the airport and I was so thrilled. And then it released in the UK and it did really well in the UK as well. And I was so excited and it didn't do as well as expected in the US. And my American publishers were like, that's so weird because it was killing in the other markets. And then, so they did, they kind of crunched the data and they were like, you know, Americans do not like that swear word. And I was like, (laughs) bullshit. (laughs) Because honestly, you know, when you look at the, um, the bestsellers, there was all subtle art of not giving a fuck. And you are about us. Like it was really released in 2019. So that was the height of that kind of trend. And still, when you look at the bestsellers list, they're all there, but that's what they determined. They were like, okay, Americans are not loving something about the title or the cover. Okay. So, and the cover was healthy as fuck. And it was a picture of a scale, which at first I had a big like reaction to, but then they were like, no, no, we ran this past special (laughs) book marketing people and they love it. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, so then what they did is they, um, did a test of a whole bunch of different titles and a whole bunch of different covers specifically to American markets to see which one the audience would like best. Yeah. And what the Americans chose was ditch the diet with Mm -hmm. a picture of bok choy. Yeah. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) Which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm just super grateful that I got a second chance to launch it, which is amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. I'm so glad that I've gotten a chance to read it. Like I really do love it. And um, I'm curious if like, were, were you ever into diets or like follow different like fads and stuff? Dude, <laughs> I did like, uh, did you miss the part where I was an actor? <laughs> we are so screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I did. Um, Cause like, that's a harsh profession. You literally, yeah. your money is where, you know, it depends on how good you look. Yeah. And you know, I don't know about the camera adding pounds or whatever, but you are, it's really easy to be very critical. Right. And, um, and like, I remember like interviewing with agents and stuff and they would look at me and they'd be like, well, you're not beautiful enough to play the ingenue, but you could probably be like a cop or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just, oh, actually they said I could be quirky best friend, yeah. which is actually the best role. Let's face it. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, but let's see, it was, it was high pressure and, and I was not someone who naturally gravitated towards being like healthy. So right. my, even though genetically, I, you know, my parents are pretty thin and I'm lucky in that way. And a lot of people aren't. Um, I was chubby enough that, that what it was getting to the point, cause I kept gaining and gaining weight with each successive dieting attempt. And mm. I'm talking like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to remember like the first, oh, slim fast probably would have been the first diet I went on in the eighties. Yeah. And what else did I do? I did like, oh geez, Weight Watchers. And I did, um, the thing is I didn't do a lot of the super mainstream ones cause I was very secret about it because I was also mm-hmm. a very strident and still am 
a strident feminist. And so even all these like attempts, I was like, no one can know that I just sent away for this weird chlorophyll stuff from the back of a magazine, from like back (laughs) of YM magazine that was supposed to like make me skinny if I had it at night or something. Yeah. I did that kind of stuff anyway. And with each successive attempt, I got a, like a little bit chubbier as you do. Right. Yeah. Um, Oh, what else did I do? Low fat, low carb. Anyway, Atkins. Oh, did Atkins for a long time. A lot of bacon yeah. anyway. Um, and then, so what it was getting to the point where I would go to a quote unquote normal clothing store mm-hmm. and I would always have to like reach right to the back to the larger sizes or right to the back of the rack or the bottom of the thing and really hope that there would be something that would fit me. Yeah. And, um, and also just, and my choices started to get a little bit, like, I always thought of myself as kind of a cool, funky dresser. And then they didn't have those options anymore. Like the ones in my size were kind of frumpy and stuff like that. Yeah. And, you know, I remember borrowing my boyfriend's clothes, but they're always way too small for me and, you know, or, and, like stuff like that. And please, yeah. this is, um, definitely, privileged person's problems, right? Because I've never been obese and faced the kind of legitimate discrimination that obese people face and the health problems that those people face for sure. I've never had that kind of experience and I'm so lucky, but it occupied a massive amount of my brain. Yeah. Way more than it should have. And part of that is because of my chosen profession. Part of it is because I'm vain as fuck. (laughs) And part of it is because it just was getting out of control. It was this one area of my life that no matter how much I tried, Mm -hmm. I was getting diminishing returns. And then, so I started to panic because there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like, um, I'll give you an analogy. (laughs) Once I went scuba diving and Mm -hmm. I didn't, something screwed up with the buoyancy and I was sinking and I was swimming as hard as I could for the surface. Yeah. I was still sinking. And you know how we always think like, geez, if there was a murderer following me, like I could run and outrun them. Like if if worse came to worse, I could try. Like I could do it. Yeah. I could do it. (laughs) And this, in this case, I was swimming as hard as I could and still sinking. Oh my gosh. It was super scary. I could feel my, you know, you can hear yourself breathing when you're scuba diving. I could hear myself go, It was horrible. Anyway, someone reached in and got me. It's no big deal. But that feeling of swimming as hard as I could and still sinking was how I felt about my body. Mm. I felt like I was swimming as hard as I could to make it regulate and lose the weight and do all this thing. And I was getting chubbier and chubbier and chubbier. Yeah. And that feeling of being out of control, of not being able to manage this one area of my life, Um, that was what was making me panic and eating so much of my brain and making me try diet after diet after diet. Right. It's like, you just get into this like bad cycle. That's like not working at all and affects everything. And then you just keep doing more. Yeah. Yeah. And so like with the book, I love how you talk about like, your whole thing is pretty much based off of habits, which Mm -hmm. I love. Um, Mm -hmm. will you talk to us a little bit about like the habit loop and what that is? Sure. Yeah. So in order to create, you know, a habit loop. So the habit loop is the psychology of how our brains form habits. Mm -hmm. So if you've got either right now, probably about 45, 40 to 45% of your life is on habit. You don't even think about these things. You brush your teeth, you make your coffee, you do all these things and you just go on autopilot and it's trigger behavior reward. Mm-hmm. And that, and this is great. This is how our, bo- our brains automate things. So we can't, because we can't think about these things all the time. We need to free up brain resources to learn new things. It's amazing. Our brains are fantastic. Yeah. So <clears throat> if you want your exercise 
or your eating vegetables or your meditation or whatever to be as instinctual and just, you know, brainless as say brushing your teeth, (laughs) then you need to create a habit loop around it. And so you need to have a trigger. You need to have something that will trigger you to do that behavior. So if it's, you know, it could be a a time of day, if it's 6am, then I go for a run and it needs to be that trigger behavior no negotiating, not like if it's 6am and I've had a good sleep or if it's 6am and it's not raining, if it's 6am, I feel like a bullshit. If it's yeah. 6am, I go for my breath. <laughs> right. Right. Every morning you brush your teeth. It doesn't matter if you feel like brushing your teeth. Right. Mm-hmm. Like people are like, but I don't feel like it. I'm like, fuck your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Feelings suck. They lie to you. <laughs> feelings lie to you. That's actually one of the most controversial things that I say is when people are like, I'm just going to listen to your body. I'm like, your body is dumb. Do not <laughs> listen to your body. Yeah. Like your body wants to hate the road. <laughs> your body wants to consume as many, as much sugar, fat and calories as it can, because evolutionarily that was really a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. Your body is not nearly caught up with our modern environment. Your body wants to have babies when it's 15. Yeah. Your body is like, <laughs> your body wants to have sex with hot strangers. Your body should not be in charge of your life. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, for the habit loop. So you have a trigger behavior habit, and then a reward. And the thing that is so interesting is it's the reward that really makes the habit loop happen. Because every time you get that reward, whether it's like, and the reward is something like people are like, ah, what reward do I get from brushing my teeth? You get that clean teeth feeling. Yeah. Right. So it's just a little reward. It doesn't have to be huge. It's not like a gold medal, but like, <laughs> it's just a little reward every time you, um, you know, say bless you when someone sneezes, you get a little reward of being like, I'm a good person. I say bless you, whatever, you know, it's just a little reward. And so if you, if something is habitual or always getting reward and people are so, the kind of people that I work with, which tend to be a lot of women, you know, from thirties to fifties, and they tend to really, really suck at rewarding themselves. (laughs) They are just like on duty mode. Like I'm not, I don't need a reward. I'm don't need a lollipop to go to the dentist. I'm just going to do the thing that I said it would do because I said it would do it and I should do it. Yeah. But your brain requires a reward in order to automate it. Otherwise, if you don't give yourself a reward, then you are just going to be relying on discipline Mm -hmm. or motivation or willpower. And those three things are finite resources. Yeah. Your discipline, your motivation, your willpower will be out the door (laughs) as soon as there's a pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) As soon as you get tired, as soon as your kid is gets sick or whatever, as soon as you move, go on vacation. So you cannot rely on discipline, motivation, willpower. You have to rely on automaticity that comes with repeating habits over and over and over again. Yeah. So that's why. And because there's this great quote, Aristotle, you are what you repeatedly do. Excellence Mm -hmm. then is not an act, but a habit. Mm -hmm. So when I said at the beginning that um, really it's about creating a new identity, you create your identity by watching, it's just called a self-reflective theory. You create your identity by watching what you do. And if you watch yourself do this habit over and over and over again, it's uh, it's gonna determine who you think you are. Ooh, That's how you become a runner is by watching yourself go for a run every day, every day and be like, man, look at her. She's still doing it. Oh my <laughs> God, she did it again. Your brain's doing that. And your brain is going to all of a sudden be like, wow, I'm a runner. Yeah. And then that's when you're not going to have to think about it anymore because you are a runner. Right. So I'm kind of curious, like with the reward, cause like that is something that I kind of struggle with of like, totally. I'm like, 
I don't know what to reward myself with. And then I'm also like, you know, I'm just going to watch this TV episode anyway, rather than like rewarding myself. Uh, with it. Yeah. 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 But it also like, sounds like some of the rewards are kind of like, you know, like subconscious, like, you know, like brush your teeth. My mouth feels good. And like saying, mm-hmm. bless you, like I'm a good person. So mm-hmm. like, do you recommend like starting with something kind of more tangible to begin with, or kind of like with a feeling, like what's the best way to like choose your reward? Yeah. Yeah. So if you're just starting to trying to get a, a habit off the ground, bribe yourself <laughs> with a tangible reward that, um, so here's some rules about rewards. Your reward has to be delivered during the habit or immediately afterwards. So you can't say, well, if I get up at 6am, then I will to do my habit, then I will reward myself with an app later because that won't work. Your brain will not make the association. Yeah. Okay. It also has to actually be a reward. So if you tell yourself, well, if I have a salad for lunch, then I'll reward myself with an apple and your brain is like an apple is not a reward (laughs) for me, then it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, And so it really, you have to make these things tangible and stuff that you wouldn't do otherwise. So for example, um, the way I bribed myself to start exercising when exercise was really hard and unpleasant for me um, is that I allowed myself to watch whatever mind rotting, horrible, trashy TV I wanted mm-hmm. only if I was on the treadmill. And the only mm. rule is I had to move. I didn't have to run because I wasn't up for running yet, but just like yeah. walking on the treadmill during Jerry Springer, Maury Povich, like these really, <laughs> really trashy things that I never allowed myself to watch daytime television before. Yeah. Um, so that's why it felt so like naughty. Yeah. Um, guilty pleasure. <laughs> Totally, totally. But I would get on that treadmill because I'm like, I want to see who the father is. Let's get on. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And then one of the things that I was just thinking about, because I just said like guilty pleasure was I love how in the book you talk about the difference between like pleasure and happiness. And will you yeah. just kind of elaborate on that? Sure. Because a lot of times, um, you know, I talk a lot about in the book that the the ultimate thing that we want when we are going on, say, a weight loss journey is not to lose the 20 pounds or whatever. It's yeah. the feeling that you think you're going to have when you lose the 20 pounds. Mm-hmm. If you really think about it, why do you want to lose the 20 pounds? Uh, because, you know, I'll wear short shorts. Okay, well, why will you wear the short shorts? Well, because I'll feel better. I'll feel more confident. I'll be, like, there's a feeling that you're looking for. Yeah. So if we understand that the ultimate goal is to have this feeling of happiness, one of my arguments is that we actually have to start training for that goal right now. And that's part of the loving yourself right now. Mm -hmm. The problem is that some people are like, well, I'll tell you what makes me happy. It's a (laughs) bottle of wine and some takeout. (laughs) Um, And I totally get that because that's pleasurable, Mm -hmm. but I want to make a distinction between pleasure and happiness. So Mm -hmm. pleasure will tend to be, Uh, situational, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, externally <clears throat> sorry, di- dictated. So it's something like, oh, um, it's pleasurable because that guy texted me back or it's pleasurable because I got the job or it's pleasurable because, you know, I'm cozying in my bed on a cold night sort of thing. Like yeah. these things are pleasurable, but they're um, environmentally or externally dictated. They right. also tend to have diminishing returns. So cozing in the bed, the first little minute or two is just amazing. But then after five minutes, you're just like, I'm just in bed. It's not a big deal. (laughs) The guy texts you back. It's amazing. The first time, the 14th time you're like that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And things like that. Your first bite of ice cream is amazing. Your 14th is like, whatever. Right. So Pleasure has diminishing returns. Um, And it's externally dictated and it's fleeting. It will, it Mm -hmm. will go. 
Yeah. Yeah. Whereas happiness, happiness comes from inside. So Mm -hmm. this is an internal state that is impervious to whatever is going on externally. So the biggest distinction, and it's also, it grows. It is self, um, what is self-perpetuating rather Mm -hmm. than diminishing returns. It's self-perpetuating more. It feeds on itself and it grows more and it grows more and it's lasting. So one of the biggest examples that I give between pleasure and happiness, pleasure is when uh, you lost some weight and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you look so good. What's going mm-hmm. on? If you blah, 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 and you get all those compliments and that's totally yeah. pleasurable. Like, and I should also say, I don't, I am down with pleasure. Yeah. Big time <laughs> down with pleasure. I think that people deny themselves pleasure for no freaking reason. Mm-hmm. And that's just dumb. Like I, for the <laughs> rewards, I'm like, go for pleasure. This is amazing. Um, yeah. So pleasure is great. Receiving those compliments feels great. Mm-hmm. However, that's pleasure. Happiness is not giving a shit what others say about how you look. Yeah. You feel so good inside because mm-hmm. you feel like from within you are radiating beauty and confidence. And it doesn't matter if someone compliments you or not, because you're like, oh, it's already happened from inside. I'm good. Right. So that's yeah. the difference between pleasure and happiness. So yeah. Again, not knocking pleasure, but I'm saying Netflix and a bottle of wine, that is pleasure. Mm-hmm. And but it's not going to make you happy. The only problem with pleasure is when the pleasure is taking you away from your happiness. Yeah, pleasure was not always in alignment with what's going to make you happy. Yeah, that's just yeah. such a good like distinction, and I love how you put it that way. And I mean, it just makes happiness. I mean, like happiness is good. Like I want everyone to be happy, but yeah. putting it that way, just like happiness is so much more empowering than than yeah. that like momentary momentary like pleasure. Like, yeah, you're going to feel good for a second, but don't you want it to like last and like feel really good about your life. And also like with the compliments and stuff and just like, yeah, cool. Compliments are great. But like really just like owning it and being like, yeah, I'm doing this for myself. I know I'm like hot shit. Like this is good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't matter if people compliment or not, because I'm still, I'm still me and I'm still awesome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so what kind of impact do you want? Like the book and the work that you do, what kind of impact do you want to have on people? So right now, about 50% of women in North America are on a diet to lose weight, some kind of diet, they're actively trying to lose weight. And the statistics are that less than 1% of those people are going to achieve their goal. That means 99% of them are going to quote unquote fail. It's not their failing. It's the diet, right? They're going to fail. And that's going to erode their sense of self-confidence. And I know because I've experienced that many, and I call that the diet roller coaster. And it's yeah. going to happen again and again and again. And what I believe we're losing every time that happens is a massive amount of often feminine power. Human power in the world is being lost through this corrosive cycle of trying diets, failing, mm-hmm. and losing self confidence and losing sense of self worth. Yeah. And that I think is a freaking tragedy. And I believe that everyone deserves just a simple system of healthy mm-hmm. habits that they can put on autopilot and get on with their freaking lives. Because yeah. then once we, once we recapture all and reclaim all of that human energy that is right now worrying about losing weight, and I am not slamming people for this because I know how that feels to feel out of control about your body mm-hmm. and to feel like you're living in a body that doesn't feel like you. 
So don't get me wrong. I'm not at all um, saying that you are shallow if that's a goal for you at all. But I'm saying we are losing way too much human energy to this pursuit right now because they're going about it the wrong way because of the $30 billion diet industry. Instead, we got to ignore all of that clickbait bullshit and just Mm -hmm. double down on the simple essential habits and creating these automatic habits through using psychology of habit creation, these habit loops, the simple stuff. Mm -hmm. I love it. Like I talked and we need to just double down on that. Everyone deserves some of healthy habits that makes them feel good because at the end of the day, it's really about feeling good. I love that. And, um, I'm curious about like, how has being yourself kind of impacted your own success? And I mean, how does being yourself really, uh, connect with like being healthy and living a healthy lifestyle? I think that the only way we can live a healthy lifestyle is by being ourselves. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is people trying to be something that they're not. And because when you feel like you're in a body that feels like you, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing is that when people feel trapped in a body that doesn't feel like them and they feel like they're not showing up in the world as the best version of themselves, that's where losing that. And so when I talk about, you know, the ultimate goal is to feel good, right? And the Mm -hmm. part of feeling good is feeling like you're in a body that feels like you. It feels right. like the best version of yourself. So unfortunately, we got cut off at the end of the episode when she was really getting into the good stuff about being yourself. But I think you guys get where she was going. I just absolutely loved this conversation and I loved her book. I hope that you all connect with Una on Instagram at Una Duncan and through her website, fitfeelsgood.com and go get her book and whatever version, either healthy as fuck or ditch the diet. And um, I'm going to put all that information in the show notes. I can't wait to hear your feedback on this episode and what you think. Thank you for listening to the BU podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and write me a review. I would love to hear from you. And you can find me on Instagram at beautifulchick or on my website, beautifulchick.com. Remember, be you, be beautiful.